0: The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Wolf & Bull podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Daremore Media, the Wolf & Bull, or its affiliates. The Wolf & Bull podcast is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast is for expressive listening entertainment. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome to the Wolf and Bull Podcast. I am the wolf. And I didn't have the EQ set up on the sounds. great to me. Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and put that in post. Uh, And with me, I also have my wonderful co-host. The bull is in the house. Good to see you. How have you been?
2: Wonderful. I've been wonderful, yeah. Doing a lot of traveling. Yeah. Yeah, checking out other pastures around. We've been very, very busy. Uh, For those of you viewers and listeners
1: who consistently view our content we have been all over the place and just so you know for newcomers we are a podcast for those looking for captivating conversations laughs and a thought provoking listen if that happens to be you then you are in the right place so
2: everybody needs some thought thought provocation provocation that that's, that's a not word. a word <laughs> i think i'm going to put that in my personal dictionary Yeah, that's know? good.
1: That's very good. Yeah, Those that okay. jokes
2: just don't stop. It's at not all. a joke. It's, it's just not that's not just stop. me fumbling over my words. Very good. You know? Very good. Well,
1: if you'd like to become a part of the Wolf and Bull family, then you can find all of our updates at the Wolf and Bull. It'll be right there uh, on Instagram, and then additionally, we are also on YouTube. You can find us on YouTube on Fridays, and then audio-wise, normally if we're not globe trotting like we have been for the last few days, just no time to do anything. Um, Audio comes out on Thursday. The wolf is very happy to be back in his home studio. Yes, it's a nice, comfortable, safe space for him. It is. It's very, very nice. You're in your bubble. I am, yeah. It's safe space. Your Studio wolf space, space. Very nice. Uh, now, just a quick reminder for our listeners. This episode is brought to you by Americano Ammunition Coffee, serving American patriots the means to defend their freedom one caffeinated caliber at a time. Make sure to visit their website, ammoandcoffee.com. Grab yourself a bag of coffee beans or visit their shop in Queen Creek, Arizona. Make sure to mention the Wolf and Bull. And at the checkout, you get about 25% off of your order, which according to your math skills are... You did this last time for every four four drinks. Sorry, I I was
2: floating off in a different direction. (laughs) Can you repeat everything you just said? Yeah, I will. I will. Basically, 25% off is 25%.
1: Every four drinks you get, you get one free. Is that what it is? It is, as a matter of fact. I'm an amazing mathematician. You are. (laughs) Thank God for the educational Uh, system in the United States, right? This is a fever dream. It's a five by four. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we have an wonderful and incredible episode in store for you joining us today in the studio is a military veteran former wildland firefighter and paramedic and owner of saguaro forge co bradley spencer welcome to the wolf and bull podcast bradley hey
0: thanks for having me guys
1: of course of course how you been it's been a little bit since we've seen you
0: i've been good actually you know living living life forging out knives takes up all my time but uh Trying to keep up with some custom orders and okay. trying to take some new ventures with that's my knives as well. So that's
2: good. Forging. We're gonna get into this in a little while, but I, I'm very interested in that. I think I've watched like one episode of what what's the, the show about forging? What is it called again? Uh, oh. Forged
0: in fire. There yes. you go. Forged in fire. I'm <laughs> yes.
2: like, oh dude, you know, Excalibur was made this way. We need to I need to see this. So this is gonna be a great conversation. Yeah, and yeah. you have an interesting background, so it's gonna be fun to talk to you about
0: i tell you that Forge and Fire show is like the bane of my existence because really? those guys make those knives in like six hours, but they got all the fancy tools and well, stuff. So when I tell yeah. people, I'm like, yeah, it's going to take me about a month to get your order to you. They look at me like, well, then how come those guys make I those love knives Hall. in yeah. six hours? So I'm yeah. like, come and on, man. We know what the answer <laughs> to that is.
2: Buy enough of these and I'll buy the stuff to make it faster, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm like, dude, I got my elbow. And my bicep, they have a hydraulic press. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There, there's a difference there, right? Yeah. That's hilarious.
2: That's hilarious. Yeah. You know, I love those TV shows and things, but it's people have to remember their shows. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But they're, they're fun. But it gets people interested, though. Right. Yeah. So bane oh, yeah. of your existence in one way, but also it's like, hey, you know, this is kind of cool. Specialized forged knives and things like that. Kind of
1: oh, really yeah. Into, yeah. yeah definitely well i mean and you can also get to a point where you get enough custom orders and you buy one of the people on forge fire and then they work with their tools it's just a, a never-ending cycle or of making
2: knives which we also a really may may have to cut that part out of the being this bane of his existence on on forge of fire because if they call him tomorrow something tells me you'd go there and do that oh and god, compete no. no you wouldn't oh
0: god no no wow. there's no way you should, I'll I, be I honest with you, right? Enough. I start working on a knife, I get I zone in on it, right? Oh, really? I'm like honed in on that knife. And then something goes wrong. It's a family show, man. I, oh, I don't need to be <laughs> on that show, I'll be honest with you. Right, kids watch that show. My, my son loves that show. I don't need him to be like. Daddy's scary. Your, you know? your son's,
2: your son's I, like, why? On this show, they never say the same words, daddy says. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Just yeah, on Google hilarious. on Urban Dictionary, like, oh. <gasps> that's right
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's very
1: good yeah. so uh, on, on a side note do you have any do you know how they get on that show are you like i don't know if it's like I, in the industry they happen to have background and that I just you know popping my
2: head there i bet it's like any of those other reality shows there's a whole yeah. cadre of people they interview them and they want a backstory of a certain type and mm-hmm. they want a certain acumen they want some people that are good at and some novices that, you know it's a show mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're casting for a show right
0: Yeah, I think there's just like a submission form. You go on the website, put on your submission, and then it's (laughs) like they just kind of roll out, and then eh, we'll pick that guy and Mm -hmm. that guy. Interesting. Just random.
1: So much power in that in that position. If you're working with a forge and fire, the one guy who picks everyone probably just thinks his farts don't smell. (laughs) (laughs) And if you do think your farts smell, I'm sorry. I just. It's a lot of power.
0: <laughs> I wonder how many free knives that guy got.
1: Oh, geez. Right? Oh, People yeah, trying to bribe question. their
0: way on the show. That's a
1: really good question. Mm-hmm. Like, what do they do? I mean, do they just leave the knives that they made on the show? Do they bring them with them? Like, that's a. there has to be a ton that they don't use. Right? Good question. Movie magic. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, should I jump into the monologue? Yeah, absolutely. Well, just to give our listeners a little bit of background, normally our show kind of you know, surrounds an overall broad topic, but Bradley actually has a really phenomenal story. And we're going to focus in on that today. Uh, honestly, I am really excited because it's going to be a really, really good, good discussion. So today is going to be a little bit more loose, a little bit more relaxed, but I still have a monologue and everyone dun, dun, dun. knows that I have some quotes. So the wolf a wolf-a-log. yeah, wolf log With that being said, I'll jump right into it. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, Peace has victories, but it takes brave men and women to win them. Sacrifice is key to much of our history, our society, and our way of life. And peace is only attainable if people are willing to strive for it. Peace is not normative. As much as we'd like to delude ourselves into believing this, nature shows us time and again that violence, chaos, and disruption are the rules to existence, not the exceptions. Unironically, violence, chaos, and disruption, symbiotic in nature by necessity, require a counterbalance to perpetuate the cycle of their existence. This counterbalance can often take place in the human form, be it through military expertise, wildlife intervention, or human ingenuity. As many of us know, it takes bravery, discipline, and a willingness to put your life on the line for those around you to perpetuate peace. Serving in our military is a calling that many of us can't answer. It's a toll, and its demand is extreme, both mentally and physically, and it's a lifetime of sacrifice for those that answer the call. Wildlife intervention, specifically when it comes to natural disasters, requires those that are highly fit, skilled, and courageous to look in the face of danger and act despite of their fear. There are many ways that someone could deal with the fallout from those experiences, and some choose not to entirely. There are some, though, that despite the struggle, push forward, forging a new path, and developing new ways to contribute to their surroundings. Recently, we met with Bradley Spencer, and he gave us some insight into his incredible story, one of trial, tribulation, and overcoming. Today, we'll be discussing his company, Sawaro Forge Co., the inspiration behind his craft, and how his experience in the military and as a wildland firefighter forged him into who he is today.
2: Very nice. Very nice. You
1: know what's funny? Yeah. Is the yeah. whole thing behind that? Normally, I've got music playing in my ear, and this yeah. time I don't, and I'm doing it in post. So now you know the secrets, and uh, <laughs> and it, I'm getting thrown off with no music now. It's just music throws me think, off, and no music I throws think me off.
2: Music kind of settles you, calms in the pattern. me, exactly. Yeah. You know the interesting thing about that monologue when I listen to it is there are definitely I don't. It's not a personality type. There are people that run toward calamity, and there are people that run away from it. And that's in, one of the things I look at about people that have spent time in the military, firefighters, police, different things like this, is their first inclination is there's danger. What can I do about it? And I, I don't know if that's built into us as human beings or if it's learned. It'd be a great, I mean, it's not one of the questions you have, oh, I'm throw sure out we'll there. Get to, but think yeah. about that because I would like your perspective specifically about mm-hmm. that. Because I know people that absolutely when something calamitous happens, they're gone. They're out the door. Going in a different direction, nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I think that's self preservation in a lot of ways is real important to the human existence. But there's other people that say, "What can I do to impact this problem and make it better?"
0: Yeah, I think it, touching on that a little mm-hmm. bit. I think I think it really comes down to what what you value, right? Because I, I I look at it as like almost almost an animalistic way, right? You see, you see certain levels of life, not willing to sacrifice themselves for something, right? Say there's a house fire and you have maybe let's say an insect, right? Has a low level of consciousness. And in that fire, it's getting out, it's running, it's, it's leaving that house. It's going to preserve itself, right? But then you move up and you look at dogs or something like that with a little bit higher level of consciousness. And maybe they have a puppy or they have an owner in that house. That means more to them. They have that consciousness to care about it the emotional intelligence to care about it and so they'll sacrifice themselves to try and save that right and then it kind of comes to people as well Mm -hmm. you know what do you value if you only value yourself you're getting out Mm -hmm. you're getting out of that house right but if you value others you value certain beliefs you're willing to put yourself on the line for those beliefs and those to protect both people
2: and or those things that you value
0: exactly
2: yeah that's interesting point of view on that and you know i I do want to reiterate though from my position i look at you know because it i think there's a natural inclination with some people the whole fight or flight kind of oh, thing that yeah. you've heard about over time. And I think there is an instinct that I go back to, I li- we lived in California for 30 years. And so, so and I, I have a geophysics degree. So guess what? Well, yeah, geophysics degree, I know all about earthquakes. Let's move to California. Uh, <laughs> but I did it anyway. Beautiful oceans, beautiful views, all that kind of stuff. But I've been through a lot of earthquakes. And there is there are people that I know that freeze, yeah. absolutely freeze during an earthquake and nothing. again, this is not an indictment of their predisposition to do so, but there are people that instantly go into action. And, and I don't know, psychological, I think you make a very good point on what do you value. The people you're with, the people that are in trouble is, is certainly right up there registering on the top level, but also kind of how you value your position in the hierarchy of consciousness, as you just said. Very interesting. Good point. Yeah, thank uh, you. Bradley,
1: personally, do you think that you had on, you know, growing up from a personal perspective, do you think that you kind of had that innate desire to jump into action? Or was that kind of built into you when it came to your military experience? Or maybe uh, it makes it both.
0: I always had it, honestly. Okay. Um, for me, in the when I was younger, it was animals, right? I wanted to save all the animals, right? Mm. Um, I've always wanted... To protect things i've always valued uh, i guess you could say i valued things that couldn't protect themselves more than myself so i always wanted to take care of them um i I remember a time when i was younger and i saw a video on the seal hunt oh that fired me up right how i was like (laughs) I can't believe people are doing this. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to stop this. Right. And then reality sets in. You're like, I ain't stopping the government. (laughs) Whacking seals with a club. Right. But just the feeling I had, I felt this immense pressure to try and Mm. save them and save all these things that couldn't protect themselves, you know, Mm. and the military just kind of put that in a different direction where it was, well, you exposed me a lot to things that we don't know living here in America, right? It exposed me to the suffering, like true suffering of people, right? It's like, yeah, you see people on the street, you hear stories of people having hard lives or being messed with or, you know, but you don't really know how vile people can treat other people until you're in that position. And once I got there, it was like, I'm going to stop this, like no matter what I have to do, you know, and that was kind of what drove me. I, I think I always had it. The military just directed it, refined it, focused yep. it, right? Yep.
2: Now, did that experience getting out of country and seeing that, the, the the vileness that people, I mean, people are capable of the most wonderful things and the most hateful evil things, right? Oh, absolutely. It, it's, I would imagine, a very difficult thing to kind of balance that in your own head, especially if you're focused in with the military on doing what, what the your country you're backing is trying to make happen? When you see people doing those kind of things, did it jade you a bit? On, on-
0: absolutely. Right, yeah. I, I could try and tell you like, no, it didn't. Yeah. Jade me. I stuck to the course. Yeah. I was an American soldier. <laughs> like I'm, I'm out there protecting freedom. <laughs> right, but no, it completely jaded me mm. because I, I saw. I saw so many things, right? And it was even with the news, right? I saw how the news is more entertainment purpose. You know, I'm I'm standing on a street overseas, and I'm I watch CNN, and they're like, "Yeah, they're having a parade." And I turn around, and there's RPGs flying down the street, and I'm like, "That's a wild parade!" Yeah, all right. Well, I don't <laughs> yeah. think that was a firework, no. right?
2: Exactly. Those aren't streamers going by. No.
0: So it it kind of it it woke me up right i lived i felt like i lived in this kind of naive bubble right mm-hmm. that was they teach in school and and the patriotism of america mm-hmm. right and i was just completely innocent and under that little protective shell yep. and then when i went over there and i saw kind of what was really going on mm-hmm. kind of what was going on in the back it was a little sketchy yeah, you know yeah. so it it kind of it definitely jaded me. Yeah, it really jaded me a little bit. It's well, for a while, yeah,
1: you know, yeah, and, and I mean, one of my best friends is ex-military, and he, yeah, I, I, from a proximity standpoint, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, it's 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 I don't want to say it's sad that people don't understand that because it's a beautiful thing that they don't have to. Yeah, um, but again, you it's know- it's. I, I of often
2: think it's a twofold thing F- from my perspective. I, I wasn't in the military, so I don't have your point of view on this. But I think part of the issue is that there's, there's a bubble of, around our North American civilization, that we don't understand or realize or contextually how the rest of the world or a great deal of the rest of the world lives and survives, not thrives, but survives, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that layer of complexity. And I think people that travel, we had this discussion with with the sheriff when he was on about getting outside the country and, and viewing what other people are doing and understanding the differential and how good we actually have it. Then there's this other layer of kind of identifying that it's a lot more best word of it is comp- complex, our relationship with the rest of the world, our position as the arbiter of what's good and bad is kind of gray sometimes. And we have to understand that. And sometimes the only way to understand it is to get outside of it and look back at it. And it sounds like you've had both experiences.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that, I talk to my wife about this all the time, you know, if you ask an American kind of like, how do other countries view us? You know, people think like, oh, we're like the we're the best, we're the center, everyone, everyone wants to know what we're doing, right? You got like people watching the Kardashians or whatever, right? And we're like, that's the best. Yeah, this is the <laughs> best show I've ever seen in my life. Um, but you have all these people that believe that we're kind of the focal point of the whole world. But you go to other countries and we're not, you're just not, yep. you know? Um, and it, 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 change, it changes your perspective of, who you are even. Right. And talking about the the military and traveling and going out when you said it was twofold, it was because it jaded me, but I wouldn't know who I was as well as I do now, if I didn't go through that and really have to ask myself those big questions about what I believe, what am I willing to do for those beliefs? You know, who am I as a person? What's my purpose? And that's the, that's the big one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is why am I here? Why am I doing this? What motivates me to do the things I'm doing? And mm. I really think traveling and seeing all these different perspectives is what allowed me to become the person I am. That's a really That's good a really message. message. Good. Yeah.
1: It is. Well, Bradley, for our viewers and listeners, could you provide some context You know, on your background in the military, maybe some of the areas where you served or you know, your position?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was a sapper in the army, which means that I was looking for bombs the entire time I was overseas. Um, you see all those movies where you got EOD. EOD, I love you guys. Um, but EODs are non combatant, right? So if, say, you find a bomb in the road and you call EOD and you're getting shot at, EOD is like, well, you got to clear not the area up. first, right? Yep. Yeah. on it off, clear the area, we'll show up. We weren't like that. They're like, oh, there's enemies in the area. And then all of a sudden you got like uh, kickstart my heart from Motley Crew playing. And we're just romping in, circling the wagons. And I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, what's the blue wire? What's yeah. the red? I'm going to tape C4 to it. I'm going to blow it up. We're going to move. Right. Interesting. Um, wow. So that that was my job in the military. It's kind of like, it's almost like they took EOD and infantry and they're like, yeah, let's put it together. Right. Yeah. Um, And so I was a sapper in the army. I served for four years active, and then I did four years uh, in the reserves. Um, During my four years active, I fought uh, in the Sangin Valley of Afghanistan. Uh, According to the Google, right, I don't research a lot about, I was there. I don't need to see what everybody else writes about it. But according to Google, it was like one of the fifth bloodiest battles in U.S. history. But it was like the wild west. So I spent a lot of time every day. We were in combat searching for bombs. And it was kind of embarrassing too, because you'd hit the same routes every day. They know you're coming. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So I uh, served there. I was a E4 specialist in the army uh, when I got out of active. Um, Just kind of wanted to do my own thing. Wanted to see what civilian life was all about and see all these things people talk about. You know, when you're in the military, because I joined the military when I was 18. I was in Afghanistan by 19, um, and I was home by the time I was 20, so. Wow. Can you imagine, my my youngest is 19, and,
2: well. I can't imagine myself doing that at 19. No, I can't even, I mean, you're just kind of exploring how to become an adult yourself. Yeah. few people grow up earlier but most people are kind of trying to work out as you said a little bit ago who am i why am i here what am i what are my prayers what i want to do and you're thrown into a situation that doesn't give you choices you have to do x and you said something a minute ago that really struck me as is interesting because it it seems counterintuitive to military strategy to to set patterns Mm -hmm. and it sounds like you did very much patterned you know uh Uh, not now whatever you call it routes all the time right that doesn't make any sense at all from Mm -hmm. a military standpoint because if you're hiding in the hills ready to shoot at at you you know when they're coming matter of fact they should be here in five minutes you know let's have a cup of coffee before they get here (laughs) did everybody set the the uh the devices yeah okay you know doesn't make any sense at all
0: yeah um you got to think though if those routes aren't clear no one else is moving so I had to wake up before anybody else operated and I had to go clear those routes so they could go to where they needed to go. And they're like, yeah, you know, we're out there doing the hard stuff. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's because I just cleared the road for you. I already yeah. took care of everyone who was waiting for you. So, you know?
2: so, so this really was a, a logistics routing kind of thing. Yep. right? You have to have this route clear and you guys got to be the tip yep. of the spirit, <laughs> right? No choice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man.
2: What did that look like? Did, I mean,
1: was there a process, a different process every day or was it kind of similar time wake up or if you got too much resistance at the time, you maybe a little bit earlier? Like, was it?
0: Yeah, you could get stuck, mm. right? Like, I remember you could get stuck. You find some complex IED. You're in a firefight. You know, D doesn't want to come out and you're like, OK, we're going to be here for like two days mm. fighting this fight until we clear this area out you know you're trying to call for a helicopter they're like oh we only got one it's got 20 minutes of fuel and you're just circled the wagons waiting for wow. someone to come out come out and clear this bomb right? you, know, you know what's funny is from from a
2: perspective perspective of living here and watching a little bit about what goes on whatever the media will give us of course which is always <laughs> kind of slanted the way they want you to see stuff Oh, okay, they called in this, and this sortie came in and did this and cleared this area, and, and it seems very precise and very, you know, consistent. And what I always hear from people like yourself, a few times I've talked to people, is that it's not. Oh, no. It's it's There's moment-to-moment decisions that are made, and there's human error all the time within that complex of decisions, and people pay for it with their lives.
0: Oh, absolutely. We used to joke uh, about, like, EOD or the the helicopter guys is like, well, okay, we call them now. They got to wake up from their nap. They got to get <laughs> dressed. The they got to hit to the flight line. Someone just shot at us. So they're going to stay there for a minute, you know, and we would always make jokes about it. You know, yeah. it's like you get to that certain level and it's like, yeah, of course, they can't just be sitting there in a truck mm-hmm. waiting to go all That's day. Right. Yeah. You know, they got to live their lives. They got to eat, they got to mm-hmm. shower mm-hmm. and, it's always when they're in the shower or they're eating or they're taking a nap <laughs> that you need them.
2: That's right. You know, Yeah.
0: Um, I would say nothing in the military was precise cause it's all people. Mm-hmm. Know? Everything is run by people. It's not a machine. They say it's a well-oiled machine. I'm <laughs> like, it's all elbow grease, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah. Very interesting. So I know in prior to this conversation, you mentioned that you are a distant ancestor to David Wisner.
0: Yes, I am. Can um, you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, my ancestor, great, 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 etc., cetera, um, grandfather was David Wisner. He fought in the Battle of the White Plains under George Washington um, and fought in the Revolutionary War and was on the Second Continental Congress. Um, but after the Battle for the White Plains, actually, that's when he started doing the blacksmithing and he started making the bayonets and the gunpowder and everything. Um, from my experience, I would like to say from combat, I can understand why he didn't want to fight anymore after that battle, right? <laughs> when yeah. you read about that battle, you're like, not a good yeah, time. That's not a good time. <laughs> um, so you could kind of see why he kind of went the route he did. Um, but that's kind of what inspired me as well to go down the route that I did. My uh, older brother, we have tools have been passed down for generations, blacksmithing, and my oldest brother, who got them, um, he doesn't really forge anything. Uh, you know, he welds a little bit here and there, but he's not a big blacksmith guy. And he knew that I was kind of getting back into it um, after the military, and he gifted me those um, on Christmas. Wow! And so every knife that I make, I make with those tools, and that's kind of really how cool. I connect to my ancest- ancestry line is through that blacksmithing, through that forging with those tools.
2: Now, did you learn that ancestry from your own family or did you do one of those those tests or anything like that or get on whatever the, the
0: platform is to look up your ancestry um, th- to begin with? I'm from a very small town in Western New York called Newfane, New York. No one's ever heard of it. Um, until like four years ago, you, you got on Google Maps and tried to scroll in, it just turned white. Um, wow. So very small. And my family actually built that town. In, in the past, so everyone's very close-knit in that town. In fact, David is buried in my family cemetery in that town, and that's where he died in 1840. Um, so everyone knows the history of it. We still have, I mean, it's very old school. We still have parades for battles we fought in the Civil War, you know? Like, I, I would grow up and be like, why is there a parade this weekend? And then be like, oh yeah, we took down the Confederacy this weekend. And I'm like, the what, you know? Like, dude, I'm in second grade. I don't know about that yet. Um, So I I knew a lot about my history because our town was very built around the founding families. And I just so happened to be one of them.
1: That's Uh, very cool. And do you think that that played a role in your decision to join the military?
0: Um, no, I, I, I wanted to go, man, to be honest. Um, I saw some of my buddies join the military and they're going off to war and, you know, I grew up watching movies and reading reading action films. You know, and uh, I had this—I've always had this weird thought, right, about consciousness and life. I always had this thought, like, well, we're all in our own individual movies, right? And I'm never going to see your movie because I can never see through your eyes. I'll never experience it. But I'm living my own movie. Um, I get to decide what type of movie I want to be in. Is it a romantic comedy? It is at points. Is it an action film? You know, is this a story of? going far overseas and live in some sort of action hero dream. And um, I, I I knew I wanted my story to have that type of action. So with the war, it just made sense. I'm like, man, that's something I really want to experience. I really want to go. Now I was naive. I didn't know what I was really signing up for, right? I, you see uh, Saving Private Ryan. You're like, man, that looks awesome. <laughs> it's not. It's going to no. be terrifying. <laughs> um, But that's what I wanted. Yeah. So, so when I wanted- turned 18, I was like... Right, One of the crew.
2: chapters in your story was that I'm saying instead of letting the circumstances dictate that to you, you said, "No, I want this as a chapter, exactly. whether you knew how to write it yet or not." Right? Yeah, exactly. So that's that's very interesting. It's it's funny. We had I I don't know how long ago we did a podcast and we were talking about kind of some ethereal topics and how everybody's kind of in their own perceptive universe right okay. it's it's kind of what you're saying really yeah and you're, you're absolutely right i perceive what's going on around us through my lens you perceive it through yours yours in wolf through his of course and uh you know mine's better perception because it's me right in yeah. yours and the, and that's kind of the way we all are built what is that called um in the gaming first person no i know <laughs> it <was> first person <laughs> <laughs> but No, no the, the character thing you always talk about there's oh, characters that are central um, to a, there's restore. NPCs, non-playable, non-playable characters, and characters, characters, right? Yeah. So, so in, in some sense, you're looking at this story from your own perspective and there's a lot of those NPCs around you, but you get to determine. I love that. I've got a friend of mine that always talked about trying to, to consciously design your own life. Oh yeah. And I, I, I remember the first time that person said that to me, I was like, I kind of wait for things to happen. A lot of my life is waiting for things to happen and then reacting. And there are people like yourself that take the opposite effect and they proact. And I, I think that's uh, admirable. I really do. Yeah. Now it may get you into circumstances where you're in the, the valley you just talked about in the middle of Afghanistan. And you're going, I could have wrote a different chapter, right? Oh yeah. You know,
0: totally different book.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: That's very interesting. No, that's, I mean, that's, that's something I think is always kind of at least the, forefront of my mind whenever I talk with anybody is they're experiencing their experience and I can't ever understand it outside of like maybe being sympathetic right mm-hmm. unless I've been in the exact same scenario at the exact same instance what would make me wonder if they're me or not because <laughs> I don't think it's the okay. same for everyone so I think it's definitely a, a very interesting perspective that you have with that because I don't think that that's normative for most people I think most people think that they're the main character and everyone else just kind of exists ethereal but it is very interesting that you have that perspective now i have to assume and this is a very easy assumption to make your service probably impacted your relationships
0: oh yeah
1: how do you how did you handle that and how did you you know going forward when you came back out of service how did you kind of move forward with those relationships that you had prior
0: um so i I guess we can all assume right i have post-traumatic stress disorder from from the war right Um, And when I came back, I didn't really recognize it, right? And it's kind of strange because everyone has this like, I guess it's kind of like a preconceived notion of what PTSD looks like, right? You're like nightmares and you can't relive or you just relive the same thing over and over again. But it's actually a chemical thing, right? My, My blood pressure was always raised. My heart was always raised. And it's because my adrenaline was always active. I was always in fight or flight everything you know when you're about to get in that fight and the room kind of like narrows in and everyone's talking you you like charlie brown yeah, that yeah. was just normal that was every day so i couldn't i couldn't really have normal relationships because i was always in this fight or flight mode i couldn't eat i couldn't sleep it was just it was very tough and then if i if anything was expected of me right i I'm anxious about it. I'm, I'm nervous about it, but I'm not nervous about that. It's just my adrenaline is rushing and now someone needs me to do something. So I can't really make plans. I can't meet deadlines. I can't. I mean, Christmas is a nightmare because all my family's sitting at the table and the whole room's like, when they're talking to me and I can't even understand what they're saying. So it was, it was very difficult. Um, it wasn't, it was at first you try and hide it, right? You're like, I'm just gonna drink, right? Because it numbs you out. You don't really feel that anymore. Now I can talk to people. I can go out in public. I can't drive there, but I can Uber (laughs) there, right? Or walk depending on how much money you spend on booze that week. But I can get around and I can live my life until you can't because alcohol is always gonna take over your life when that happens. And um, when that happened, me and my wife, she's like, you gotta get into therapy you know, and so I started doing the therapy thing, started talking and there's there's two therapies that they use for PTSD. They have a cognitive behavioral therapy and that teaches you kind of who you are and what you think and how to compartmentalize everything, right, um, and then they have a prolonged exposure and it's where they make you relive all the traumatic incidents over and over and over again until you can think about it and it doesn't create an emotional response to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did personally is I was going through the cognitive behavioral therapy to figure out who I am as a person and what I believe in, right? Because the values of the military and the value of civilian life, I mean, they they don't mix. It's yeah. like oil and water, right? Um, so I was trying to figure out who I was, what I believed in, what my purpose is. And at the same time, I've always written I wrote written, I've always written, right? Um, I kept a journal when I was in Afghanistan, and I wrote poetry, it was just kind of like a way for me to express myself. So when I was going through that cognitive behavioral therapy, I was learning what I believe. And then I actually wrote a book called the darkness of treading water. It was just for myself, right? Um, uh, I did publish it, but I didn't expect anything of it. Um, And I just wrote all my experiences down. And when you're writing a book, you don't just write a chapter and move on to the next one. You write a chapter, you reread it, you write the next chapter, you reread both of them. Mm -hmm. And by the time I finished, I had read through all my traumatic experiences so many times that they no longer made an emotional connection with me. Mm -hmm. It was like something else. It was just something that happened to somebody else because I had read it over and over and over again
2: that was your reliving part of it yeah it was like your therapy version of that reliving part of it
0: absolutely yeah and that's what all i thought about when i was writing that book just for like a year all i thought about was combat 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 until by the time i finished that book i don't really care anymore
2: you know it's amazing what the human mind will allow you to do to try to and, and you said it a minute ago compartmentalize the different aspects of your life you know when you're in the military over there you had to Focus. you had to compartmentalize this is the only thing that's important right now because if it's not i may not live right mm-hmm. and to to suddenly be thrown back in civilian life and have that kind of mental way of looking at things around you obviously was difficult and, it, it, and that's an interesting form of ptsd that i hadn't really thought of because i'm yeah. i'm like most people i hear about that and, and and when you watch things about that you see these extreme issues where there's a reaction you know, that, you know, you hear something outside and suddenly you're under the bed kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Right. But what you're talking about is very interesting because it raise your heartbeat, raise your blood pressure, focus you in on only what's in front of you and narrow that focus. Kind of kind of like uh, um, boxers do, things yeah. like that. It's like just the opponent there. That's it. That's the only thing that's important. Very interesting stuff. Well, I think it's really hard for entertainment to
1: kind of express the psychological aspect of it for people who've never been in something like that. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's 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 a lot. Um, well,
2: if you said this a second ago, it's the sympathy versus the empathy thing. We've talked about that many times. Yeah, you know, unless I'm really walking in your shoes, I can't empathize with you because I haven't been there. Yeah,
1: oh, I yeah. can
2: certainly see my perspective and understand to a degree and sympathize with the situation on anybody's part. But I think it's important to have not only these kind of conversations. But what you did by writing it down, I don't think people do that enough. Journaling mm-hmm. used to be a big thing. Now some people blog, but some people use the social media stuff not not as their own. Some people do use it as their own personal dumping ground for nonsense, yeah. certainly. But there's an introspection that needs to happen from, I think, everybody's part yeah. when they're trying to deal with whatever is big in their life, whatever is giving them challenges in their life. And I think writing it down is huge. Yeah, because
0: oh, yeah, you can see it. You know, you you think it, but when you write it down, you can reread it over and over and really understand what that thought process is that you're stuck on, right? And you can challenge it. And that's the important thing about even the cognitive behavioral therapy. You write out a list of stuck points, things you believe about yourself, you know, like no one will ever love me because of the things I've done. And you know what you do under that? You write five reasons why that's wrong. And now you create the solution to what's bothering you and it's all right there but you it's so simple but you would never do it up here yeah. you know
1: that's really good yeah well obviously i'm sure you have uh, some opinions from a geopolitical perspective on all the stuff that's going on what happened you know obviously with afghanistan um what happened or what's currently happening uh with ukraine and obviously the soft war in china which I mean, I guess we're maybe there. I'm not sure. I watched this on a side note. I watched this very interesting documentary. We're going to have an episode about this, about MH370, that flight. There's something else going on with that that Malaysian flight, MH370. It disappeared in 2014. Oh, yeah. There's a whole slew of stuff going on. So kind of relation to the geopolitical aspect. But is there anything that you want our listeners um, maybe to understand from your perspective, being in the military, you know, about what's currently going on?
0: Um there's there the thing that i would say is i feel like civilians have it kind of kind of twisted in a way right like oh the war in afghanistan's over we're finally gonna have peace there's never been peace mm-hmm. no peace and one of the jokes in the special operations world is we have no boots on ground and they look down and they say well thank god we're wearing sneakers <laughs> right because there's no boots down Well we're still operating in like 150 countries All the time, all year, 365, there's war going on. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like peace really only exists around the safety of soldiers, right? Like we build a wall of safety from the civilians and they don't get to see what's really going on out there, you know? Um, Yeah, yeah.
2: that's that's interesting. It goes back to kind of what we were talking about a little earlier. and Actually, part of your monologue, there's this, there's this, cushion this bubble around and i'm very pleased that there's a bubble that i didn't have to participate in you know i'm not saying i would or i wouldn't that's not my point my point is is that i recognize there's a protective layer and i recognize that people sacrifice to create that protective layer but a lot of people don't recognize it at all Mm -mm. and a lot Mm -mm. of people believe that every time we stop one action there is peace But that whole thing in 100 and whatever countries all the time. We may not be defining it in the media as war, but what happens, right? Exactly. We're manipulating and moving around and creating circumstances that are to the betterment of our company for whatever we've decided as a country is right for us. Mm -hmm. And that's what all countries do, one way, shape, or another. We just happen to have more ability to get it done than than the others. Well, we also have a lot of distractions in this
1: country in particular. So it's like we've always talked about if you don't have – you know, crazy instances happening around you at all times, you can worry about some of the most ridiculous possible things and make right. those your focus.
2: Yeah, the protective layer is great, but it's also allowed us the ability to think about all the nonsense mm-hmm. stuff that you hear about in the world today. Yeah, If if we were worried about the next uh, bowlful of rice we had to, to eat versus, you know, not worrying about anything really in comparison to the rest, and it's back to what you were talking about earlier, people don't understand what's going on in the rest of the world. There's, you know, almost 8 billion people in this planet. There's 330-ish million here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, a lot of people that aren't here. yeah. And most of those people are, in, comparatively to us, really desperate in living their lives in hope for the next generation, and it's a day-to-day kind of uh, evolution for them. Yeah, definitely.
1: Oh, so Bradley, you've, you've served in the military, you've gone through these experiences, you come back from the military, and you immediately jump in to being a wildland firefighter. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. It made the most sense, man. I mean, I was like, you know, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get a good job. I'm going to do all these things because of all my experiences. But I got out of the military, looked around, and was like, there's no bombs in the real world. Like, what am I going to do? I'm a bomb guy. I search for bombs. So I came back, that expectation, what they sell you, you know, you're going to get out of the military. You have X clearance security clearance you're going to get this job you can do this really the only option to make the living that you want to make when you come back from that is to go back in the private sector Mm -hmm. right and i'm looking at my wife and my kids and i'm like "Ah, okay i don't really want to do that but I don't want to be here per se, right? So what can I find out? What do I like? All right. I like being in the outdoors, love the outdoors, love being away from people, right? I don't like big crowds. I don't like all that jazz. So what what can I do there? Um, I love medicine. I didn't know that I loved medicine, but when I became an EMT, when I came home, I, I found love with it. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, I can actually, I can help people again, you know? Um, and that's that's really why I went back into it. I've always wanted to, help people i've always wanted to serve people i had this like it's like a slogan in my mind uh the whole time i was in the military and when i came out and it was make the world better than how you found it which was very naive at the time right i can't make a lot of big change but i can change lives around me and um when i got into medicine i i really discovered that uh, i could really make an impact in this moment and um i was doing the ems type stuff And uh, being 100% honest, EMTs don't make no money. There is no money in the emergency medicine world. If you're having a heart attack, the guy who's coming to save you makes less than the guy who gave you the heart attack at In-N-Out Burger, right? Um, So there wasn't a whole lot of money in that. Um, And I had to support my family, right? I'm I'm going through all the therapy. I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. And I just got offered i saw i saw a little thing on indeed it was like emts make 500 a day i was like i'll make 500 a day what do i got to do and so i kind of i steered towards that route of wildland firefighting i had no idea what it entailed no idea what it was i just was trying to survive as a civilian and saw the money and went that route and then when I started doing it, I, I loved it. It was like purpose. It was like brotherhood. You know, you got guys, you're just sleeping out there in the sticks for 16 days at a time, 21, 23 days at a time with the, these people, you know, and you're just fighting wildfire. And you can see the impact you're making, you know, the fire's coming straight for this, this town and you stop it from getting there. And everyone in the town is like, yeah. And man, that's, that's a great feeling. You feel like you actually accomplished something, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, I don't think a lot of jobs get that. You become a personal trainer. You work with someone for months and months and months trying to make them a better person or fix their health. You're a doctor, you have hypertension and I put you on meds for, for weeks to try and get you in a good place while land firefighting, I can get that same satisfaction in like two days.
2: Hmm. You so, know? so it sounds to me like that was a surrogate for the previous rush you used to have in Afghanistan, right? Oh,
0: exactly. I mean,
2: I, I, I and I totally understand. And, Because it's a different kind of enemy, Mm -hmm. right? The fire is your enemy and, and probably more rewarding in a lot of ways because you have somebody cheering for you to get that done and to stop that fire. And when you're in Afghanistan, you're a world away. Oh yeah. You have a brotherhood perhaps, but you don't have a town. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you had a town cheering you there too, you know?
0: When I saved a town, they threw rocks at me in Afghanistan. <laughs> you See, know? That's a
2: perfect example of where I was going to go with that question. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a complete dichotomy. You're a foreigner coming in. You're fighting the fire over there, the bombs, the, the routes you had to clear, all that kind of thing. You come home and you fight a fire here, and it's like immediately adrenaline rush, rewarding, probably fulfilling that high heart rate and everything else you had and that focus you put on it. Very oh, interesting transition for sure.
0: Yeah, I think it was perfect. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's a perfect transition. I think, one, you get to do good. You get that same brotherhood that you're lacking in civilian society. Um, and you get the reward mm-hmm. that, that you didn't have when you are in combat. Yeah, you, you come home and people are at the airport or something with signs like, Welcome home. Yeah. But then, that's it. Everything dies down. It all slowly dies. Even when you come home, your family's super excited for a couple of days and then life goes back to normal. So you know,
1: why do you think? Why do you think that is? Because that's something I, that's a question I've always had as a civilian, right? Like uh, having friends, you know, having served, and you know, to the bull's point, like obviously, you know, if I needed to, I would, but mm-hmm. thankfully, I didn't have to. So why why do you think that we've gone from maybe a society that, maybe what 50, 60 years ago, really, really celebrated the people that made the sacrifice to create the world we live
2: in to see i think you have to go further back mm-hmm. than 50 or 60 years ago yeah because well, the thing you, i think of Vietnam. is world war ii right well, th- that's that's and then everything almost eighty years. Down, that's 80 probably. years ago yeah. now. Yeah. so math so, well <laughs> I mean, because you were saying it a minute ago people hold up signs at the airport you're coming home yeah well when i was young people were coming home and they were holding up signs all right it wasn't what they wanted to see coming home Mm-hmm. These people had gone over to uh, East Asia or in Asia there and and come back and people hated them, hated them. The same people who are, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. I apologize. I won't go too far <laughs> afield. But the fact of the matter is, is you can complain and you cannot like a lot of the things that occur. The reasons the government decides to do whatever it does militarily or otherwise. And we're all, human beings we have a right to speak those things into existence but you can't ignore the fact that the ability for us to complain is given to us by the very same people that we're complaining about that's the trouble i had have still today with a lot of the protestations that occur it's more nuanced don't be mad at the people Mm -mm. that are being asked to or told to run by a certain set of marching orders don't be upset with that be upset with the hierarchy that maybe is forcing agendas on other parts of the world I, I'm, I'm not articulating this correctly i think I'm, I'm getting it out though and the the it's it, i think it's certainly better in a lot of ways now but it during world war ii you had exactly what you're talking about yeah with. like people that would was,
1: celebrate there'd be parades and I'm mm-hmm. granted I, I get like there's there's a difference, like World War Two. People thought it was the end of the world, and let's hope we, you know, stay away from World War Three for a while. But it, I, I get it. But at the same time, there's still that this, the difference in size is there. The difference is ex, in, in some extreme is there, maybe at a larger point. But the sacrifice is not different. It's the same. Uh, the sacrifice doesn't but change. The sacrifice is a life. Is a life is life. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, so what, what, what's your what's your perspective on that? Is there anything that maybe? you see from you know the outside looking in that kind of dictates some of these perspectives that some individuals have
0: i think uh, the main difference is is we had a foe that attacked us right world war ii we were attacked so Mm -hmm. patriotism right all time high you go get them go get them boys Mm -hmm. you know and they went out they did what they did a couple years go by we win the war we come back and we can say we got them right and people applauded that people were super happy about that even this war in iraq and afghanistan the mm-hmm. global war on terrorism we were attacked so people were patriotic people wanted to go get them you know same exact thing so when we came back people were happy i don't think people were happy when we got in conflicts where we weren't defending ourselves
2: where we initiate
0: yeah, exactly and i think that's the problem people have because people can't understand like okay, but those people are suffering. We have to go help them. They're like, mm-hmm. well, why do, it's, it's the same thing. People say, well, why do we have to help them? Because we can. Yeah. Like, why not? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so I think that's where we get the divide. It's like the worst thing our enemy can do is attack us because everyone's supportive, yeah. you know? If they just say words and we go after them, right? It's the same as self-defense, right? Yeah. If someone says the most vile things to you and you smack them, you're getting handcuffed. Mm-hmm. But if someone puts hands on you, Everyone applauds you for protecting yourself.
1: Well, that's you know, yeah, and I can see that maybe as like a third party, someone puts hands on someone else, and then you step in, and people might get angry with that. So I I get what you're saying, but I still like, you know, like I I, maybe maybe it's because of my you know relationships with some of the people that I have relationships with, where I see it from there, like like you you spent X amount of time somewhere that is obviously not where you know you're used to being initially. Mm you've spent x amount of time training x amount of time seeing whatever you saw there has to be some sort of compromise that people can give and yeah. you, you get what i'm saying because it's like it's like people getting mad like i get it someone you know attacks a town and burns buildings down you come in you put that fire out but then a town in another country gets attacked by some people and you go down to put the fire out and people get mad yeah you get what i'm saying it's kind of a weird yeah cognitive dissonance maybe
0: yeah really um that is kind of strange i uh and then they blame you for for going to going to put it out but yeah. i think people get get it mixed up the soldier is not the person who put himself there correct right people get not every soldier loves and respects and just blindly follows the government right mm-hmm. we have a job to do and we're going to stick to the mission mission is always number 1 but that doesn't mean i really believe the people who are giving me all the orders, some of the people mm-hmm. who gave me some orders were like, not the smartest I've ever met. Right. Yeah. Um, but people can't see the difference. You are the physical manifestation of that image they have of our government. Right. And you're right in front of them. So they're mad at you, mm-hmm. but really you're like, I'm just a person. It's, yeah, you know? the old,
2: it's the old saying, don't blame the messenger. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the messengers who almost always gets blamed every yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> so I understand it from a psychological point of view. It's just, it's disruptive and it's it's wrong thinking and it's also something that if if we did a better job in this country of talking about these subjects and understanding that the direction to do these things doesn't come from the boots on the ground backward it comes from the people making the decisions to put the boots on the ground yeah don't blame the boots on the ground and often mm-hmm. you
1: you're it's very often there's consequences if you don't listen
0: oh, that's that are correct. extreme extreme that's consequences extreme. Yeah. so it's like
1: I, I don't know i just for for me personally like i like sympathy wise like it's like dude like leave those guys alone yell yeah. at the politicians yell at the people who are making the decisions yell at maybe some of the the, the leaders from the top down Exactly. Because the, if if a commander comes in and tells you to do something, you can't tell them no. Yeah. So and I, obviously my my limited understanding of the different iterations yeah. of you know uh, allegiance and well, there's got to be a chain of command. Still, or things get really weird. Yeah, yeah, so it's like I don't know. It just it hurts. It like on a personal side, it hurts my heart because it's like dude, like they come back, you come back, and you want people to applaud and do all that. And obviously, there's a point in time where that can end, but. You shouldn't forget, you know. Yeah. Well, I, just for me, I, I honestly you know?
2: think veterans. I, I, you don't want to pedestal anybody. No. I'm not suggesting that, but they need to be recognized for what they've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the individual things that may have gone wrong, or the. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about taking the step outside the bounds of where most individuals would take. Yeah. Whether mm-hmm. it was somebody that volunteered like yourself, or somebody that was recruited in, or however it happened. Take that into, you know, a recognition of what happened. I mean, half half the we were from San Diego from a year ago, and you know, California is a huge homeless population right now, massive. And this is a, maybe a different tangent than you had on your notes and stuff, but it, there's a decent percentage that are veterans, and probably, probably high percentage of those are PTSD oh, problems yeah. because they haven't figured out like you were able to with your wife's help and therapy and writing and wildfires and all that to figure out their way back into a society that absolutely does not recognize them. I don't want to a hero is, a, is maybe the wrong word. Well, let's let's, I mean, tongue in cheek, if we can celebrate
1: people for two years that I will leave unnamed over no, I, something. I mean, exactly. you get what I'm getting at. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Like it's just, it's a weird kind of cognitive dissonance that I think people have. Cause it's like, as a, I would consider myself a patriot. That's, I mean, I love this country. And now I don't agree, I definitely do not agree with everything we do. And I definitely don't agree with every single individual in this country, I'm, I'm a human being. right? But like, I look at the scenario and I'm just like, dude, like you are, like the people get angry, the people that get like viscerally mad at the wrong people, they are part of the problem. Oh, absolutely. Just yep. direct it in the right way. Like no one, like I'm not gonna criticize anyone for protesting the respective people that you should. Like you wanna protest, be my guest, do that you want to get viscerally mad at people who come home that want to come to a home mm-hmm. like gtfo get the fuck out of here like like you you need to figure out something else a home that they your, went away to try to protect exactly so and and, and obviously protect there's the people may be like, well there's a difference between like you yeah. talked about a second ago, there's a difference i get it but at the same time it's not different for the people that go you know yeah, what i'm saying Absolutely. so i don't know i just felt like i needed to say that so glad you did yeah yeah absolutely yeah it's just it just it stresses me out and bums me out because it's like i see that whole scenario is like these people come back i'm not a hug person but that's an instance where you should
2: you know it doesn't matter what like, that's when people need that and that's just for me you know what wolf you know you know my wife and she she will go out of her way if she sees uh uh, hat on a veteran or something, she'll go out of her way to go over those people and thank them. Yeah, And, you know, sometimes it's like she goes all over the place to try to. <laughs> you ever so get her chuck- to a parade? We it's just chuckle everybody. about it's like <laughs> one after another. It's like she's shaking hands. But, I, I mean, her heart is into that. I mean, that is her heart. And and she does it not for herself. She does it because she feels like those people are not getting yeah any of that recognition that they deserve no and not. that's that's something we need more in this country really yeah i agree yeah so uh let's let's, let's jump back into wildland yeah. firefighting so question i've always had
1: because we've we're, we're from you know most while I was born there. I don't, you were Michigan. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm from fire capital of the world, you know, I, in my opinion. Obviously, it's a narcissistic kind of
2: self-positioned <laughs> thing to say, but yeah.
1: California is a fire every day. Is a, If it doesn't happen, it's weird. Um, so how, as a wildland firefighter, do you balance the need to protect people and property with the need to protect the natural environment?
0: Um, I can't really speak for the higher-ups, yeah. right? But... I want to preserve nature. I want to do that, but nature's going to do its own thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's going to go through seasons. Things are going to burn down, and a lot of things I didn't realize about wildland fires is that they actually make the soil more nutrient dense, right? Mm-hmm. So it puts nutrients back into the soil. So it, it can be a good thing depending on where things are. In fact, a lot of california mm. a lot of wildfires that start are because the local firefighters are doing control burns on a windy day when they shouldn't right um because they're trying to clear up all that brush because all those weeds and all those little tiny brushes sucking sucking the nutrients right. out and the big trees can't get the nutrients they want so me personally though i love nature but screw nature if <laughs> yeah, it's in yeah. if, if people are in danger and it comes to protecting life i'm like let it burn right we need to protect we need to get these people out of here right they have that tree probably has a daddy and a mommy that (laughs) care about it deeply but i know that person does right so i'm gonna i'm gonna take care of that person and strategically i think they're trying to save people and preserve nature the best they can but it doesn't always work out that way. I, there's times where we're just like, "All right, back out, let it burn." We tried, didn't work out. We're not going to lose know, our that, lives. That
2: goes back to what you were saying about that hierarchy of consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. So the con- your consciousness is is saying, "Okay, yeah, a tree might have a mommy and daddy, but in this case, I'm going with the human element, right?" Yeah. You know, in California is interesting too because I, you know I lived there for like 30 years, like I said, and they the, the environmental groups. And, and I'm not an anti-environmentalist at all. Uh, I, I'm kind of like with you. I kind of weigh things in their priorities. But they did a, a, a huge amount over the course of the, I think the Sierra Nevada group probably was one of the first ones to start a lot of this. Preserving natural aspects. Doing The, the place I had in San Diego, we had a, quite a bit of acreage. And at least almost half of it, if not a little bit more, I couldn't even, I wasn't even supposed to walk on. It was open space, as they call it. It's, it's something that the, the builder of the house I was in did with the county. And said, the county said, oh, yeah, you can build on there. You should have been able to anyway. I mean, you can build on that only if you say you'll pay the property taxes on all that, but you don't do anything on it because yeah. of what other wildlife may or may not be there. But the problem with that is that that happens a lot in California, and then the brush gets bigger. And it just creates all this fuel. So whether it's a lightning strike or a a burn that the fire department is doing or whether it's something else entirely, it gets out of control. And then we blame the human beings that have encroached upon that environment. So it's a weird – kind. it always comes back to politics, for God's sakes. I don't know why, but it does.
0: It always does. I mean, it's like, yeah, I want to preserve – I love nature. I love it. I want to preserve it the best that I can, but – Sometimes we take it a little a little bit a little too, too far. far right? Too far? We're taking it a little too far and now we're putting lives at risk for a belief that like I said this is all our movie, a belief that you have um, I might not have the same same view. Yeah. And, and
2: and I actually think that that that's part of the why we have kind of the hierarchy and civilization that we do. We have kind of a framework of truths that hopefully whether we're talking about a city state a country whatever have a group of beliefs that kind of frame our system in but there's always people outside of that on the parameters of things that are trying to angle for whatever thing their story is telling them is the highest priority Mm -hmm. and it's outside the norm and the problem is is we listen to those outside the norm because they're usually the loudest voices always and that's the problematic part of it but i think you're right i think i think preserving th- that house and that family is way more important than getting that brushland and those few trees that are going to go away
0: oh absolutely yeah
1: it's it's interesting the the level and the i guess the weight that some people give to some things to me you know it's I get it. Like I'm, I'm right there. Like if we're, if we're, like for example, I think a good example was, uh, was it Yosemite that was on fire like last year? Uh, yeah. Uh, was
2: that Yellowstone? No, no, it was,
1: no, Yellowstone was Yosemite. Was floods. I'm pretty sure it was Yosemite. Yeah. So, so, uh, um, you know, Beowulf and I, my, my wife, um, for those listening, you know, uh, her and I went to Yosemite and Yellowstone last year. Beautiful uh-huh. places. Yeah. Um, and I think at the time we were there, there was a massive they, they fire. They had they had place not open in Yosemite, yeah. right? That yeah, couldn't go to. There, well, that was because of like I think rain and erosion and flooding as well, but there was also a fire that you could just like see in the distance. And for me, it's like, I get, it. we want to keep those places incredible, pristine, perfect. I've never been a like believer in throwing trash on the ground. Like I've, I'm like, yeah, keep things that you like and love in good condition they the last a long time. So I've always been in that position, but for me, it's always been very strange these last few years when people take such a high degree of weight to
2: things are going to happen whether humans are around or not. Is, is that no. back to what we were saying earlier, though? You know, people have too much time on their hands. They're not mm-hmm. focused in on the ability to to actually survive and live and focusing on the important things like their family and moving stuff forward in that degree or keeping us all safe. They've got so much time on their hands. that They've had people like yourself create such a layer of protection around them over the course of time that they can take whatever agenda they want and say, I'm going to save the planet in this way. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm against saving the planet. I want, I want our home, as you said, to be in good shape for generations and, Millennials to come. Millennials. Millennials. Millennia. Millennia to come. Millennials. Millennials yes. are okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, to come. Yeah. We got a whole different thing about
1: we're millennials. We're still waiting I'm on right. another generation, but the, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll come. show up. I don't yeah. know
2: what letter they're going to use for the next generation, but maybe AA. I don't know. Yeah, we're running out. We're, we're going to have, have to move, to move up well, language. That, But that's what that's <laughs> what that's what the people believe that we're running out, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for all of history people have been apocalyptic. Ap- 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 apocalyptic. Oh my God. Are you okay? This tea or this caffeine I've had today just is through your veins, yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. you know what i'm going to say you know what i'm saying out there right yeah you always know what i'm saying <laughs> so anyway anyway that for all of time people have had that perspective that everything's going to end tomorrow i don't know what that is built into our brains that way but right now it just seems terribly important to some people and it's the loud voices that are talking about it and it focuses attention away from the things that are important in life yeah oh
0: yeah
1: like life and your family and friends. Life. Um, but yeah, so we've, we've spoken about your military experience. We've spoken about your experience with wildland fire, firefighting. Um, David Wisner, your ancestor was a blacksmith that forged the tools that you used to, you used to forge your knives. What initially got you into the knife making hobby?
0: Um, I started when I was young, right? Okay. So, um, my grandfather was a farrier and, uh, I'd, just thought it was really interesting right i was big into fantasy books Mm. you know and there's always like the village blacksmith out there forging (laughs) all the weapons i was like yes that is gonna be me right um and so i just i fell in love with the idea of it and then seeing it in action i was like this is awesome Horseshoes suck though i hate making horseshoes right so um when i got older I, i started making knives and i made my first sword well, i guess you could call it a sword uh when i was about nine years old right And in my small town there's just woods everywhere so you wanted to have you weren't allowed in the house back then right that was for grown-up time um so we would just spend so much time out in the woods just with me and these swords that i would make i'd wrap leather around the handle it was it was awesome i loved it um and then when i got older i, I kept doing it here and there throughout the years um, and then when i was in the military i stopped obviously i couldn't Gonna have a forge on base. They, yeah. they shun that. They're like, propane, <laughs> you're a bomb guy. Hell no. Um, so I stopped when I was in the military. When I got out of the military, I tried again, but it was strange because I couldn't do, what do you call it? Like, mindless activities, mm-hmm. right? Anytime I did a, like, blacksmithing, there's a point in blacksmithing. Yes, hammering it out, getting the shape out. You're all focused. And you get to grinding and you're like doing stock reduction and you're just like and it's just mindless and when i did that my mind would go off which was not a very good place for my mind to go when i first got out um like i said it wasn't until i really wrote that book that i was able to do mindless activities i do mindless activities i feel like i'm in a fight someone's going to come up behind me i can't talk to anyone i'm I'm shut back down I i would disassociate um i would i would feel like this was all fake I couldn't tell the difference mm. between a dream and reality. It was terrible. Mm. Um, and then when I wrote that book, I went through all that therapy. I was like, you know what? I got these tools. Let me give it another shot. I used to love this. I used to love doing this and I was able to, I didn't have the same emotional response to the mindless activities that went with knives. So I could make a million billets, but I could never finish them because that was the boring part to me. And that was the part that made my mind wander somewhere else. Um, and so I really honed in on it. And that is, it, it's funny because I tell my wife all the time. I'm like, you know, I don't like making the same knife twice. Mm-hmm. And it's because I do it once and I'm all in. I'm so focused. I have, make sure everything's perfect. I got to make it me- meet the hand measurements. The blade's beautiful. I love it. Then I got to make it again. I remember how to make it. It's not as exciting. It's mindless and mm-hmm. who knows where my mind's going to wander off mm-hmm. to, you know? Um, so really you're a
2: creator. Yes. You don't like to duplicate each time. You like to create a new piece of art. Yes. And that's absolutely. what
0: it sounds like. And that, that's why I went the custom knife route. It was like, ah, I could make the same knife over and over. I could call it like, this is the Thor's hammer, right? <laughs> and I could I could remake that knife a million times. I could market it on Etsy, on Facebook, and do all that. But God, that would be just awful. Well, I think awful. We,
2: we need one that yeah. says the wolf and bull is what we really need we need to do a custom wolf and bowl. That's okay. what I we, yeah.
1: Well, I've been, I've been toying with the idea of having a memento wall and for a funny perspective, getting the poster from the movie memento and having yeah. it there is the weird hilarity thing for me. just have the photo. What's his face. I can't remember. Is I the, don't remember actor the actor, um but uh, I thought it'd be kind of funny, but yeah, no, it's definitely something I'd, I'd be interested in. Now we've, we've, we've kind of briefly touched on Saworo forge co. Yeah. Now we've, I'd love to dive into that a little bit deeper. Now, yeah. please correct me if I'm wrong. I did a little bit of research on the background of forging. What you're doing. Is it open
0: die forging freehand? Uh, everything is open. I have Gosh. a hammer an anvil and a forge, okay. a propane forge. I started with coal takes too long and you can't trust it. Yeah. I, how many times I burnt the carbon out of a billet? Yeah. Uh, I was like, I need a real forge. Right. Yeah. Um, so I just have that and everything is done by hand. Even my okay. edge, whetstones, files. I don't, I don't do anything. That's not traditional. Like I said, I'm trying to keep that, that link with my ancestors alive. And that's why I love doing what I do. Cause nothing is handmade anymore. Yes. No one really truly hand makes anything mm-hmm. anymore. You know, you go on Etsy, Amazon, any of these websites, they're just reselling stuff that they bought from a manufacturer overseas. And they're reselling it for like eight thousand percent upscale right so i really wanted to keep this just art just yeah. a craft you know well i'd love to
1: dive into like what could you for our listeners like describe the mission of saguaro forge co and then from start to finish like what is your creation process for a new design
0: kind of look like and from initial product to finish product um so it all starts with kind of talking to the people right i'll be honest though I, I steer people in directions i'll have an idea for a <laughs> knife and i'm like man i want to make that knife i look at my board and there's like 10 knives on it and i'm like i got no time to make this knife so then someone starts talking to me and they're like yeah i want like a chef's knife that like i'm like could cut meat <laughs> like, a little bit thicker of a spine i can blue back the spine, right and I, I steer them in a direction that i'm i'm already like i want to make this knife i'm like upset i get a little obsessive about it sometimes um, and so i steer them in that direction i measure their hands so i can make sure the handle fits them perfectly mm-hmm. right because i need to compete with these manufactured knives that you can buy for five bucks on alibaba mm-hmm. right um, so i measure out the hand and then from there i start with just uh, i have a it depends what you want right so i can do like a patina if you want the blade to be black i know i got to boil it in uh, vinegar but I can't use stainless steel for that because stainless steel doesn't rust. It re- it resists the patina. So I, I'm like, okay, I can start with 1095 high carbon steel, right? And I start with a little little bar of it. Or if you want stainless steel, you want a nice mirror polish on this bad boy. Okay, no, I got to start with a high, high carbon stainless steel. Um, just throw it in my forge, heat it up to a certain degree. I don't, at this point... I used to have like the the heat gun and I would make sure I'm at exact amounts, but I've been molding steel for a hot minute now. So I can tell just from the look of it. Mm. Um, and I always, it's funny because when I always initiate forging, I always do it when it's dark so I can actually see the color Mm. again, forging fire. It's all during the day, man, I ain't gonna make it on that show. Um, but I see the color and I start hammering away. Once I get it out to the shape that I want, then it's like, okay, now we got to perfect it i start filing i start sanding and i start hitting it with the stones until i have it exactly what i'm envisioning and it's funny i was t- telling my wife about this the other day she's like you're just out there forging how are you so mentally trained throughout the day and i was like you don't understand like my mind is picturing this in like a 3d model and i'm like running over it like it's a high-tech hologram in my in my own brain and i'm doing that every second that i'm forging this out i'm like okay and then sometimes i'll look at it and i'll be like i'd be better if i did this back in the forge and i start working it some more until i get it exactly how i want it um and that's the best part of it i love working the steel because you create this beautiful useful tool out of just nothing You you know it's
2: interesting the way you say that too because i my experience looking at knives and i i have a handful of them but i The focus, the visual focus always seems to jump to the handles. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that sounds like it's the least important part of these things.
0: Yeah. From my point of view, handles suck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Making the handles sucks for me. It's like the steel is so... Rewarding, and you can create all these awesome shapes, and you get the bevel just right. And mm-hmm. when you've got a clean bevel, and it's like, especially if I start, you know, like this far up the blade, and you have that crisp line, and then it runs, I'm like, oh, that's that's awesome. Then I start working the handle, and people. I think it's, people don't let me use my artistic creation for the handle, right? Mm-hmm. I love making a handle out of something I've never made before. Like, you guys started talking about the wolf and bull. I was like, I have a wolf tooth and I have a bullhorn. <laughs> I could here make a go. handle out we that. go. <laughs> Boom. That's now I'm excited cool. about the handle. But, you know, people are like, oh, I want, like, a green handle. I'm like, yeah. you want me to, like... I got this maple burl wood I could put in the <laughs> middle of it. I could do this spacer. And they're like, "Now green. Hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. Hate it.
1: Hate it. <laughs> Hate it. Well, um, my, my, my perspective on, like, on knives has always been like, if they can cut if they can cut good like, like that's for me it's like that's that's all i care about i want that thing to go right through something especially cooking like i like love like or you know obviously in the off chance in my life knock on wood that i ever have to defend myself like obviously it has to be sharp um so that's my biggest thing is i've always thought the blade for me is kind of the coolest possible thing because it's like if it does its job that makes well, it i was
2: gonna happy. say the blade is what does its job right yeah the handle is just it the decoration, you know, really.
1: Yeah. And I've got so. these nasty gnarled hands. So it's like, it could be just made out of just a piece of wood. And I'd Those be wolf happy. Wolf paws have been. Unsanded <laughs> piece of wood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's, that's really cool. I think that there's there for me, there's definitely a value in someone who sees a vision in their craft and cares so much about it that it's like, it makes them excited. And I don't think. I don't think well, you can obviously see that. Yeah. Right here. That, I don't think corporate America gets very no.
2: excited about anything anymore. And, and the, uh, you know, the artisan like yourself, I, I don't want to say a dying breed because hopefully that doesn't happen, but it's certainly not the way it used to be.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: everything from, you know, 100 years ago, everything from the buildings you walked into to the furniture you sat on to the utensils you used were handcrafted. Mm-hmm. And once automation came into play that kinda got pushed to the fringes of things. Yeah. But I think there's a resurgence of that. I really do think there's a potential for resurgence of that mm. kind of thing. And I know you were you were talking earlier that you've even gotten to the woodworking side, even though you might not like the handles. The fact is it's still an artwork. It's still using your abilities to shape things, right?
0: Oh yeah. I'll tell you I wanted to be a knife maker and now I'm a leather smith. I'm like a woodworker. I'm a blacksmith. It, I had to learn so. Much. i i do i can do these crazy resin th- i didn't even know what was in resin like five years ago i'm like resin what? what's resin? like epoxy don't you
2: get some of your materials from the wild didn't you say that before that you get some of the materials from these fires you've been in
0: yep so every wildfire that i fought i brought well minus the first one that i fought when i got the idea for it i was like man i should have brought a folgers can out here right um <laughs> every fire i brought like little folgers can mm-hmm. and i would go every time we did a burn i would scoop up a bunch of ashes and i would grab a bunch of fried uh wood uh not from the forest <laughs> uh, but i would grab all that right and i would label it and i'd bring it back uh home and i just had like the stockpile of it mm-hmm. and then um what happened was i was like okay I wanted to create this business. So I don't know if we touched kind of the backstory, but the reason I walked away from wildland firefighting was because my youngest son was uh, diagnosed with extreme autism, Um, nonverbal and everything. And uh, when I came back from this past season, uh, I think I came back from the McCash I'm a cash. That was in California. Uh, the hermit's peak calf Canyon fire in New Mexico is the largest wildfire in New Mexico history. Mm. I spent three weeks out there, 23 days. When I came home, my son didn't recognize me. He didn't want, he, I couldn't hug him. I couldn't be around him. He would start, uh, stimming out. You know, and I just was like, you know what? I've been gone for so long. I've been doing this for so many years, the military and deployments and wildland and deployments, need to figure out what i'm gonna do how i how can i be home i was like i love making knives maybe maybe i could sell some knives right um so i was like okay i got all these firefighter buddies Bing! you guys want some custom fire knives i'll sell them to you real cheap right and that's how i started right Right. i started making these custom and i'd put their little insignias or whatever they wanted uh dates of the fires name of the fire and i would engrave that onto the blades with the handles actually made from resin and ash from whatever fire they were on. Wow. Um, that is very cool. So I started doing that and it, it got a little weird though after that, cause now I make, I'm actually making handles like family heirlooms where it's their deceased mothers or whatever. And I'm wow. mixing those ashes with the resin, you know, as, as strange as that may sound,
2: that's kind of a trend I've heard about in different creative things out there that people want just a remnant of ash from their relatives involved in whatever the product is they're coming up with. So that's, that's going to be a growing thing for you. I bet.
0: Yeah. I I hope so. Yeah. I mean, initially I was like, you want me to what? (laughs) (laughs) As long as they don't,
2: (laughs) I say, as long as they don't give you like, here's here's the the femur from my one of my victims uncle bob you know yeah,
0: exactly hey,
2: this can you person make me, uh,
1: died of natural causes
2: yeah, yeah. see these knives these were from each of my victims oh uh, you know, that, yeah you know, that would be bad but it, just to the side question how old's your son now uh He's three three years old it's incredibly formative years for any child but in particular for an autistic child i i have an autistic son myself and it sounds like yours is a different part of the spectrum perhaps, but it is hugely important, hugely important for time to be spent with, with those children because they're, they're, they're special kids.
0: They really
2: are. So, so in, and it sounded to me like you really loved going out in there and fighting the fires and maybe someday you'll be able to do some of that again, you know, once things have developed to a certain stage. But I think that, it's, it's funny listening to this story. You've moved your chapters along. Yeah. And you've been intentional about it, which is... I, that's very interesting to me and, and something that, that that I think is important for listeners or viewers to to hone in on. Because we all have that opportunity and most of us don't try to write our own story at all. No. We just yeah. react.
0: Yeah. I feel like not a lot of people realize that it's their story. You know? It's mm-hmm. like... Weird analogy, but I kinda this is kinda what I was talking to my wife about not too long ago. I was like, you know, I feel like a lot of people, it's like we're living in this box, right? And we don't really know why we're there, what is there, what's outside of this box, and there's no answers. But we it's like there's a task in front of us and a voice is like, Build it. And a lot of people are like, Okay, so I guess my purpose is to build this this tool and they live like their whole lives just I put this together and they just keep tinkering with it. I've never been like that. If I were in that box, I'm like, wait, where are we? What are we doing? Why am I doing this? It's always been these questions. And I've always had to come up with these answers for the question. And I just, I can't, I can't do something just to do it. It Mm -hmm. has to be intentional. Everything I do has to be intentional. I have to know why. And I have to know. What, what it is that i'm doing i can't just go in blindly so it's like the military i wanted to do that i did it the wildland. i was like you know what i don't want a normal job i did it and then when it was time to hang it up it was like okay i want to be there with my son and i did it i don't want to work a desk job i know i can't handle that so i didn't you know everything i did i made those decisions in my life eh, I'm not the wealthiest person in the world, but in here I am because I made all the choices that I wanted to do. I, I The only regret I might have when I die is, eh, I could have made more money, probably. I just didn't, <laughs> you know? That's, I, I'm hoping that's the only regret that I have, and that's how I've steered my entire life.
2: Well, what's the old story about the, the tombstone, right? There's a birth date and an end date, and the only important part is the dash in between, right? Exactly. And it sounds like you're intentionally making that dash your own mm-hmm. and that's a hugely important message
0: yeah No. yeah well thank you
2: that's very very cool so
1: we've obviously touched on a lot of things you mentioned one thing in our prior conversation that i want to i want to touch on because it's very interesting to me you mentioned that you developed an app that's a local virtual market
0: yes can we go into that absolutely so then i didn't know business right i had been in public service my entire adult life right military paramedic emt wildland firefighter and i never really understood business so when i got into the knife i was like man everyone needs knives everyone's gonna buy knives and i can custom make knives and i learned really quick that the american dream is in china (laughs) it's in pakistan it's in india it's not here Mm. right what's manufactured here and i I started looking at all these people that were claiming these handcrafted knives. They're like handmade knives, 60 bucks. And I'm looking at the knife. I'm like, I couldn't make that for, for 40. I'd lose money on that. How could you handcraft that for $60? So I learned that everything was being manufactured overseas. You can't go on Etsy. Every time you buy something on Etsy, it's someone who's reselling something they bought from a manufacturer. Amazon, right? Even the, the D discs, the flap discs for metalwork, you can buy them for one cent a pop from Alibaba or one of those other manufacturers. And if you buy enough, you get them customized with your logo. So all these people were selling, I was, I was seeing exact same pictures. They weren't even taking their own pictures. They're making these, they're buying these uh, sets like resin and wood handles, Damascus, blades, all sorts of stuff. The set's 20 bucks. It says right there. And they put their logo on it, claim it's handcrafted. I'm like, what, you put a screw on it, right? (laughs) You like bolted in some different screws and now it's handmade in the USA. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're selling it for like 120 bucks for a set and saying handcrafted. And people, I'm looking, they have like 20,000 sales. I'm like, what? Uh, heck right how am i supposed to do what i'm supposed to do and i started paying attention and i realized everyone's doing it i I go on facebook i get i don't want to name names i wish i could (laughs) but i go on facebook i get these sponsored ads for all these handcrafted knives Mm. and now i know i know enough about it i can spot it a mile away i'm like oh yeah i know it's that knife's 582 I feel like I'm gonna have to show
1: him all my knives now and be like, which one's real, which one's fake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's gonna
2: give yeah. you an answer. You might not like it on some. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Uh, if you bought them from Cabela's, Amazon, anything fake.
2: Um, oh, thank God, I didn't.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it got it got so difficult, and I started paying attention, and it was everything. Like the table legs that I made for my buddy the other day. He ordered table legs from Etsy, right? And um, the guy was like, oh, sorry, it's going to take me about four weeks. And then he he text him or sent him a message three weeks in. And he's like, oh, I'm waiting for them to get back from the powder coater, uh, all sorts of stuff. They showed up. I'm like, dude, that's 18-gauge steel? That's not powder coat? Let me look. I go on the Chinese manufacturer. There, there they are. Right there. That's wow. what the shipping time was. Four, four weeks. weeks. Wow. So he's he, the people are claiming the handcrafted and just selling right and it's etsy is a hundred percent like that amazon's like that it's crazy so what i did was i was like okay how can i bring back shopping in american products american handmade products and this first is stupid but the slogan that came in my head was eliminate the made in china from your life right mm. and just uh, that slogan uh, i ran with it and i i All right, this was a long time ago, but in in high school, I took every single computer programming class they offered. It was like Windows 98, but the language was roughly the same, right? And so I went to work and I spent about a thousand hours making an app that takes your location and it connects you to people in your neighborhood that are craftsmen, local craftsmen. And it was like, why are you buying from someone who's reselling you stuff from China that lives in Wisconsin? When your neighbor, who's like two floors down, makes the exact same thing, mm-hmm. you know? And that was the whole purpose of the app. So it's a marketplace, it's a directory, and it connects people to their local handcrafted products. Really, to eliminate the made in China from your sure. life, yeah. you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of that out here. Yeah. There's a lot of handmade. A lot. lot. Handmade, I a mean, lot. P- nobody knows about them, right? So mm-hmm. a perfect example, a platform for them.
0: Yeah, and how do you find them? What, you Google? Are you 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 won't find you'll never find
2: them? Yeah, maybe on the twelfth Google page or whatever. If yeah. you're if you're really digging into it, because as you know, the stuff you look for first is the stuff you're talking about that's coming mm-hmm. from somewhere else.
0: Yeah, and yeah. you see it. You see, and pictures are so deceptive. You know, some yeah. of these knives look perfect because they are because they were manufactured right. A CNC mm-hmm. water jet machine gets you to one thousandth of an inch right so everyone looks perfect you can't tell the difference between that knife i would cut that knife in half with one of my knives but you couldn't tell until you picked up my knife and you felt that difference you know um yeah it was, it was just dirty that I, is did. awesome. I didn't understand yeah you
1: know? no I, that's 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 actually a really really incredible point you bring up because i'm like I see it all the time too. Like, I'm always wary of Etsy. Like, I'll buy off of Etsy if I've met the person. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, some of the stuff around the studio is from Etsy. I think those particular little buggers behind here are from them. And actually, the guys in this area, I saw them at the, uh, um, Shout Out, Brahms, bu- Bug Box. Saw so them at the, uh, oh. the little, what's it called? The Renaissance Fair around here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's where I met him. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I, I, it's all over the place. And I used to be in the digital marketing sphere, so I understand it's like, you got these big companies that are going to come in and they're going to bid on a specific keyword. And there's not a single person in the entire world outside of maybe Amazon that is ever going to be able to take the first place on that keyword. And, and when people search for those things, they're going maybe, maybe to the bottom of the first page, maybe. So it's like, it's, it's, it's incredible that you've done something like that because that's something that's, I think needed, you know, and, and, and frankly, in the United States, no, not everyone is, you know, has especially now a million dollars to spend on things, but the, Difference in quality, I think outpaces the 20, 30, 40 bucks you'll save. Yeah, that's absolutely. just me, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah. I think it's it's almost like, I feel like it's almost uh, like a social status thing too, right? When you're surviving and you're just trying to feed your kids and do it as cheap as possible, yeah, I got you. Go mm-hmm. to Walmart, buy the cheapest stuff that you can, right? Mm-hmm. But as you elevate social status, it's like people want to buy things that associate with what they perceive that status, you know? You're upper middle class. You don't go to Walmart anymore, right? You you go to Target. You, hmm. you I mean, it's the same exact thing, but you move your perceptions of it, you know? And I feel like of course not everyone can afford a handcrafted custom knife, and that's totally fine. But I think that's know?
2: why you're right talking about it you're in the artisan space mm-hmm. you know you've got unique one-of-a-kind items i i mean you could duplicate them over and over you could set up a pattern and send it off to some manufacturing oem at up you know overseas if you wanted to but why yeah because then that takes away the unique nature of what you're doing
0: yeah absolutely well looking at the kids <laughs> looking at the, watching my kids i'm like man how much are they at China? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, no, no, no. I got morals. I can't do that. You <laughs> know? But yeah, it's it's just it's crazy. And it's crazy to me that 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 app didn't exist. No one had made it before. Yeah. No one had thought It's like do people not know that everything they buy is from overseas? I well, well I, I don't think, think you're people right. consider it.
1: Yeah, I don't think they think about it. I mean, my, my biggest thing is like, I, I get what you're saying. Like, Artisan, obviously, there's a there's a level of crafting there that is specific and it just deserves the whatever monetary price that you choose to put on something because it takes your time, your equipment, your, you know, uh, forging materials, for lack of a better, better word. And a lot of people, I feel like, are that way. But my question that I've always had is, okay, we'll just wait till we get into a, a hot situation with China. All yeah. that's going to go away all that maidens china stuff is going to go away it'll be cut right off at the legs and i look at the situation artisanly or people who are nearby and i'm going to be looking at those people and say okay well i need a knife i'm gonna go to that person because i can't go to china anymore if that happens i'm just gonna put my hands up and say if because who knows who knows people made prediction predictions
2: for the last like 20 years on that but Yeah, there's a lot of nearshoring coming back to. Mm -hmm. In particular, Mexico is is a a big place for that, and and you know the manufacturers down there making some of these same things, or the same manufacturers are over there anyway. So Mm -hmm. how those geopolitical, economic, and you know retail kind of things happen, they always find a way to happen. But I think there's a differentiator, and you you spoke about it a minute ago, and when you want just some normal knives in your economic station is that you better go down to walmart and absolutely go do that but if you want a unique quality knife or any of the things on your platform that you're talking about then now you have an opportunity to go find that locally Mm -hmm. to get something done because to to me a lot of times and i'm back from i'm from michigan and you know i go back there i used to go down to a place called chip shawana indiana and that was it wasn't amish it was i think mennonites or something like that and you knew when you went down there that almost everything you could possibly buy at their swap meets was handmade
1: Mm -hmm.
2: all the farm tools all there but that's that's how i grew up and how i knew and that is lost on everybody today
0: yeah so it's gone it's a it's a sad thing because you see see so many, it's like the blacksmiths, right? I think Benjamin Franklin gave a speech about how blacksmiths were the most important part of society, because you couldn't have a barber without a blacksmith, you couldn't have a chef without a blacksmith, you couldn't have anything without someone who would make what you use. And then the Industrial Revolution came along and blacksmiths became machinists, they became, you know, along those scales. And We still need them. I mean, look, everything is made out of steel, but it's Mm -hmm. all made somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's not made locally. And and what I do used to be a necessity, and now it's just a hobby. You know, Mm -hmm. people just say it's a hobby or that's how they think about it, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah um yeah sad I wish we could get back to those days that you're talking about I think we you
1: can yeah. I think we can I think there's gonna be a, a heavy push for that especially for some people if we, we reach the perfect social standard that some individuals want to see for our future hey. uh, <laughs> utopia per se um if we ever reach that yeah I, I think that even even if we don't I think it'll come back I mean I think people like I worked a jet desk job and this is what I do now. I mean, it's I, I still have to sit at a desk, but it's a lot different, you know? And I oh, think yeah. a lot of people are going to come out of those situations, the corporate world, and say, I, you know, f F all that. I don't want to do that anymore. I've been burned out on it. The companies clearly don't care. I mean, they hire people and have them on for six months and teach them absolutely nothing. They don't give them any quality skills that they can translate unless they have those skills prior, and then they hold them, and then they get fired in six months, and they're apathetic. I think people are going to move out of that. That's personally my opinion. Hopefully, hopefully I'm correct on that. But Bradley, it's been phenomenal, phenomenal talking with you. Honestly, incredible story. Um, oh, Thank you. Thank you for joining us and thank you for your service. Honestly, ah, yes. I appreciate that, Absolutely, guys. Man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks it's, for having me. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely something I think I, I want people to be aware of. Now, for our listeners and viewers, what is the best possible way for one, them to find your content, two, uh, them to support you and anything that, you know, you want to add in for any, services or any uh thing that you know is on your heart
0: Hmm. so best place to find me is just the google hit me with uh saguaro forge co um it'll take you to my website or to my instagram and facebook and you can see all my different knives that i've made um i do a lot of different like i said everything's custom so a lot of times when i have a lot of orders i make them one picture package out the door and the next one, right? Because I'm I'm trying to hand make products at a rate that keeps up with what people want. Um, so my Instagram is probably the best way to see all the work I've done. Where my website's the best place to order. Gotcha. A knife. Uh, just to support, I just just support your local uh, your local worker. You know, your local handcrafted skilled worker who can make something for you if you want a knife anything like that so you can you can buy one or just share one of my pictures try and get those out you know that you can see the difference between mm-hmm. what i craft and what else is out there um, or you can download the app i am on google and ios apple right um, it's just villagers market uh villagers with a z and then you can download that and you can look at local products near you i got some really cool stuff on there so you guys should probably check it out very cool um, absolutely yeah, that's good Appreciate stuff, it. man. Yeah, it really yeah, is. It is. And then if you guys need some table legs, you know, let yeah, me. Know. We, we <laughs> actually we uh,
1: might be I I honestly a table. think um, <laughs> well, we do need a table. Yeah. But, There's gonna be some big but, changes
2: for Bull. Yeah, but, <laughs> we, but I, I'm telling you right now, this I've ever since we talked about it a half an hour ago, I'm thinking a knife, Wolf the wolf and bull I'm yeah. telling you, we've got it. We got to get one of these. We've got. Cool sit down with you and figure out what to do with that i gotta get the memento wall going up and going
1: once we get a table a lot of steps (laughs) uh, thank you again for joining us and thank thank you you to the listeners uh we appreciate you we honestly would not be where we are today without you guys and if you happen to like our content you can find it on instagram at the wolf and bull we're also on youtube and we are on rumble now granted i didn't ask for a subscription earlier Hopefully this episode brought you some quality content, some entertainment, some insight into you know the military aspects of the United States, knife making, and wildland firefighting. I before talking with you, I actually had never considered that to be honest. Like what is the various differences? So yeah, yeah I thought it was a very interesting conversation. Hopefully you found it to be a very interesting conversation as well. So if you leave us a like and a subscription, that would be absolutely wonderful. Again, you can find us at the Wolf and Bull on Instagram and on YouTube. And we have episodes every Thursday, audio wise, and every Friday video wise. Thank you again. And we will catch you next week. Thank you for tuning into the Wolf and Bull podcast. Our team here at the Wolf and Bull and Danmore Media are so happy you spent some time with us. If you liked this episode, please leave a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple podcasts. A review will help grow our show and we'd love for you to be a part of our family. If you'd like more content from the Wolfen Bowl, you can find it at our Instagram at the Wolf and Bowl, and on YouTube and Rumble via the Wolfen Bowl. Thank you
0: again and we'll see you next week.